But first, it's time to talk to Sheila. And Sheila, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to first explain the terms glasnost and perestroika. Ah, yes. Well, glasnost was openness. In other words, that was our ending of censorship, uh, opening up the public space uh, to discussion of all kinds. Uh, and this is in, uh, introduced by Gorbachev uh, in the uh, late 1980s, not long after he'd become first secretary of the Communist Party. Perestroika was going to be the reconstruction, uh, the rebuilding of the system, essentially the economic system, but also uh, presumably political and, uh, uh, and, and bureaucratic. In the interview with him, he uh, says that it was, it was an accident that he became Secretary General. How did he get the job? Well, he was chosen by his, uh, his, his, his comrades on the Politburo. So I, I, I'm not sure really why he, he describes it as an accident. Uh, he, they had been, the, the leadership had become very old under Leonid Brezhnev. Uh, and uh, when Brezhnev died, his uh, successor uh, uh, was another old man. Now, Gorbachev was already a candidate then. That is, other members of the Politburo had put him forward, uh, but he didn't make it that time. But when Chernyenko also died, well, then that was Gorbachev's uh, time. How did you meet him? What were the circumstances? Oh, well, I, my, my meeting was much less exciting than yours, I think. I, I, this is when Gorbachev was, he was out of power, but not very long out of power. So let's say it's, it's nine, 1992 or so in Washington. And he was doing the circuit talking to, to policy people, basically, to American policy people in small, uh, in small groups. He was very good at that. He liked doing it. Now, I was not a policy person. I'm a historian. I, I've ne never, uh, really been involved in any uh, directly in anything to do with policy, uh, but for some reason I was part of the group, and so uh, which is a group of about twenty people, and we talked to Gorbachev for an hour, an hour and a half, I think, uh, or he talked to us and we <laughs> asked polite questions. He he was very charming, wasn't he? He was very charming, very charming, and very impressive. Uh, that is to say, his, his, his establishment of rapport with people was good. His dealing with the small group uh, was excellent. His memory for who he was talking to uh, uh, was impressive. Altogether, it was a very impressive performance. At the time, he was living on a rather meagre pension and he needed to make a few bob. And uh, we've almost forgotten that in the West, of course, he was a huge drawcard you know, on, on any speaker circuit, but he also made some commercials. He made one, as I recall, for, for pizza. <laughs> Did he really? Oh. And also for a luxury suitcase. Oh, well, a suitcase would have been useful to him. <laughs> I, I don't know about the pizza. Yeah. Okay, so let's... I've heard you argue in the past that perhaps he got glasnots and perestroika in the wrong sequence. Talk to that. Well, there's a question, isn't there? If, um, uh, if what you're intending is a very wide-ranging uh, uh, reform... Uh, which involves both democratization and economic reform, uh, which one do you put first? Now, the Chinese had the same situation, 
and they put the economic first and left the political for some rather distant future. And Gorbachev did the opposite. He, I, I, I think for the sensible uh, or on the face of it, sensible reason that he wasn't quite sure how to do the, the, the big reform of the economy. Uh, and so he wanted to have a discussion in which some consensus would emerge about um, what it should be. Now, the Chinese thought he made really the wrong uh, choice about the sequence. And I suppose in retrospect, one might say they've got a point. So how is he viewed in the West versus in Russia, I, I, when when he died, when we heard news that he died, leading leaving aside uh, Putin's response, I couldn't help but think that he wouldn't be remembered all that fondly for destroying the Soviet. It, that's one of the sad things, isn't it? That in the West, I, I mean, we see him in quite a heroic mode uh, of, of somebody who... Uh, for essentially for idealistic reasons, did his very best to change uh, a fairly sclerotic system uh, and failed, but we give him enormous credit uh, for, for, for doing that. Now, in Russia, it looks, I think, quite different. Uh, what it looks like in Russia is that he's the man who lost the Cold War and lost the empire. In other words, on his watch, the state collapsed. And that is uh, a failure of, of monumental proportions from, in, in, from the perspective of Russians. Do you remember the, the impact on the psychology of Russians? They suffered a sort of a, a national version of PTSD. Even, even life expectancy dropped. Yes, especially men. <laughs> I, I, it was men who started to die like flies uh, in their 50s. Of course, they all, I mean, life expectancy was not that great before that. But nevertheless, there was this really dramatic, uh, I think for about five years, downturn. Now, women obviously are stronger. Uh, <laughs> Russian women's life expectancy didn't show the same uh, extraordinary drop. What about his relationship with, uh, with Putin? That seems, uh, well, problematic. Problematic, yes, of course. I, I, I think compared with his relationship with, with his immediate successor, Boris Yeltsin, uh, it, it lacked the, uh, the sort of intense antipathy uh, that was involved in that relationship. Putin, uh, Putin tolerated him, I guess one would say, and he allowed the, the Gorbachev Foundation to exist. He allowed Gorbachev to live in Moscow uh, and, and, and make occasional policy uh, pronouncements. Uh, that meant, of course, that Gorbachev was, in a sense, dependent on his goodwill. Uh, which could have been withdrawn if he uh, if he'd stepped too far out of line. Now, you think that one of one of his problems, one of Gorby's problems, is he didn't have a clear idea of what reforms he wanted to achieve. Well, that's right, and I think that that's where this whole the whole question of he he wants to start off having a discussion to work out what kind of reforms to uh, achieve uh, becomes. Uh, becomes really very salient. He, the easy position, or the, in a certain sense, the obvious position for a reformer as far as the economy was concerned was uh, both to decentralize and to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to sort of, to re-allow the market, to, to let the market principles uh, develop. And he, decentralization, okay, although I don't know that he was that keen on that. 
Uh, he certainly didn't fully trust the, the, the regional executives. Uh, but uh, the market, you know, he, he never <laughs> developed a great enthusiasm for the market. Uh, he did, of course, re uh, remain a social democrat to the end. Do we know what his attitude was to uh, Ukraine? Well, you know, as as I as I mentioned before, uh, there had to be a certain constraint in what he said publicly, didn't there? I mean, he was dependent, after all, on 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 Putin's continued tolerance. Now, in one of his last speeches, I think this is December twenty one, last public uh, comments. Uh, he said it would be good to ban war altogether and uh, nuclear weapons uh, in particular. Now, that's not a sentiment that uh, probably, and that, that's before the outbreak of the war, uh, before Putin's invasion of Ukraine, but still, it's not a sentiment that Putin was likely uh, to endorse. Uh, in the, a Russian... Uh, a Russian journalist quoted him saying privately that he was upset uh, after the invasion. He was upset by the invasion and felt that his legacy was uh, was threatened by it, that Russia was taking the wrong course. Now, that's that's hearsay, right? I mean, uh, but, uh, but it, it seems, on the other hand, extremely plausible that that's the way that Gorbachev would have felt. Given the current perils involving nuclear power stations in Ukraine, Gorbachev, of course, had such bitter experiences with Chernobyl. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's it's terrible to see what what uh, well, let's all hope is not a replay. So Gorbachev had to sort of navigate the Soviet through that disaster. Uh, yes, he did, and uh, it, it's interesting the way that's remembered. You know, the the whole uh, the whole question of of whether he applied glassness. Uh, to Chernobyl, I've I've read many accounts that say uh, that stress the fact that there was not an immediate announcement. In other words, there wasn't a, a degree of openness. But I, on the other hand, have a quite different memory. And who knows if one's memories are right? But I had arrived as a researcher, uh, I think five days or so after Chernobyl, and so I was there to see him go on television. Uh, to and and announce it. It was five days after. It was not immediate, uh, and that was extremely memorable uh, because it see it was such a straightforward announcement. And I remember not only was Gorbachev memorable, but the whoever was his chief scientist that he brought in, who just come back from Chernobyl, uh, and the man was. He was more or less behaving as if just off the plane. And I remember him. Uh, calculating uh, the uh, the dangers of, of radiation exposure from it, and he seemed in mid sentence to realise what he himself had been exposed to. It was actually wonderful television. Mm. Let's go back to the the formal end of the Cold War and his uh, negotiations with Reagan. They were an odd couple, but it worked well for history. A very, very odd couple. And it really is great, greatly to both their credits that they were able to overcome what was a, a legacy of, of, of uh, you know, con considerable uh, enmity. After all, this is the evil empire. Uh, the Soviet Union is, is the evil empire, according to Reagan. 
uh, and that they were able to find common ground and and almost uh, appall their their respective advisors by uh, on, on the question of, uh, of of ending nuclear uh, proliferation. That's right. uh, they went they, further than their advisors expected them to. They did, and they had to pull back. Yes. And a remarkable moment, and perhaps that uh, prevented, at least for the foreseeable, a third world war. It could have been. So Gorbachev, we know, at least tacitly disapproved of the war in Ukraine, and uh, now Putin's response to him publicly has been what? I believe he sent a nice message to the family. Yes, and he expressed his deep condolences. Uh, so he did. He did the polite and proper thing. Uh, he hasn't, uh, unless it's just come out and I've missed it. Uh, he has not provided a sort of encomium of of, of Gorbachev's uh, virtues as a leader, and uh, and indeed one might not necessarily expect that because, uh, from the point of view of, of Putin, uh, if. Um, Putin's view is that the collapse of the Soviet Union was the geopolitical catastrophe of the century. Uh, well, who was responsible for the collapse or who, who presided over the collapse of the Soviet Union but Gorbachev? So he can hardly uh, have a high opinion of his achievements. And there, of course, is uh, Putin wanting to put the Soviet Union back together again. Yes, or, well, of course, we don't... I think it's unclear uh, how much, I mean, whether literally that would be an ambition, that would be, I think, an unachievable ambition, but it's very clear uh, that he is unhappy uh, with the situation of, UK, uh, of Ukraine uh, joining NATO and, and, uh, and Europe and uh, sitting on, uh, on Russia's borders. Uh, it's, uh, my own sense is that what, that Putin's ultimate, he basically wants to get Russia back as a player, as a big player on the world scene. I mean, Russia was a superpower, the Soviet Union was a superpower, then that collapsed and Russia was essentially nothing or treated very much almost as just a regional power. And that uh, has been very offensive to Putin, uh, who has strong feelings about lack of respect, both for his country and, and himself. And so I think one reading of what he's after uh, is not so much the literal reconstitution of the Soviet Union, but the return of Russia to uh, a great power status in the world. It's hard to see another Gorbachev taking the reins in, in Russia, isn't it? Well, it is indeed. Yes, uh, maybe, <laughs> well, who knows what the future holds, but at the moment, certainly it's hard to see. Look, thank you very much for that, uh, Sheila. It's great to talk to you. I should remind you, dear listener, that Sheila, Sheila Fitzpatrick, is Professor at the Institute for Humanities and Social Sciences at the Australian Catholic University, and her most recent book is The Shortest History of the Soviet Union, published by Black Ink. Sheila, our paths will cross again, perhaps on a less sad occasion. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.